You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 323 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. I'm in a great mood today because my friend Nick is back to co-host the show with me this week. How are you doing, Nick? Woo-hoo. I'm in a great mood too, Brittany. It's uh, great to be back and yeah, I'm doing fantastic. How are things on your end? Uh, they're going quite well. I just yesterday was reflecting on how many weeks I have been at home and how many habits I have changed. And we're starting to have the discussions of returning back to the office and it just seems like an entirely different world. How about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. I think it's interesting because it's a global thing that's I mean, if you're listening in the future, you know what we're talking about. But uh, it's a global issue, but it's very localized in that we all kind of have our own experiences that are similar, but slightly different, you know, for timelines and experiences and, and all that. So, you know, I'm here in Belfast and we have our own version of that, too. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a different world. It really is. So the last time you were on the podcast, you hinted around that you were starting a new job. So tell me all about it. Woo! I can spill the beans now. So literally when I recorded, there's that little phase between getting the offer and being fully onboarded that I'm usually not super like they don't say don't talk about it. But I I kind of am, a, you know, a cautious person. So it's fully on now because it's been a few months. So I am an employee of Chef, which a decent number of our uh, listeners here. I have probably heard of this company over the years. They're they're known for their, uh, you know, automation and coding infrastructure. And and it's just been a wild ride. So part of the reason that I got onboarded there um, when I was looking for work after moving to Belfast with my family is uh, I was just looking at the market. And this was just before lockdown. And I never worked at an organization that size and an office that size because I'd always been with a small company or partially or fully remote, you know, very small teams. So I just completely turned my world upside down. And I'm loving it. And, and I'm full-time Ruby now. Um, so CSS and JavaScript, at least in my day job, are no longer a part of it. So yeah, it's uh, great to be here. I I could go on and on, Brittany, but I don't know which part to jump into first with uh, how this new move. Well, I think the part that I'm really interested in is when we last spoke, there were a lot of Ruby developers who were starting to join the market just because of the impact of the pandemic. And it you just happened to be on the market at the same time. What is it like starting a new job as a remote employee? Yeah, so the timing was really funny because I was the last person in the Belfast office for Chef. Um, they had me in. They only had the people in on the day that needed to interview me in person. So we did a bunch of interviews at once. Um, and then literally when I walked out the door, that office was closed. Um, and it's been closed ever since. Now, I have to compliment Chef uh, big time because they've always been uh, treated remote as a first-class citizen. I think last I heard from our CEO, we're 70% remote. So we are a global company, but having the Belfast office is unique. But from what I hear from my coworkers is that even before um, lockdown, you know, it was the office was a resource, right? It wasn't a prison. So you could come and go at your leisure. You know, you didn't have to come in during rush hour or leave during rush hour. And if you wanted to do a few days a week at home or four days a week at home, you could. But it was just a resource, which 
personally for me, I've worked just about every which way. That's my favorite setup. But at the moment, yes, we're fully remote, but the, the team's been great. You know, we have company-wide communication that I think there's a very healthy use of Slack, which not everyone has. And then the Belfast office also, we've kind of got our own circle and culture where we talk to each other about local happenings. So it's it's been great. Now, there is the downside of onboarding to a completely new code base uh, remote because I love being able to sit next to my lead and peer over their shoulder and pair in person and onboard that way. It's so much faster, but everyone's been so, so kind and understanding and uh, of everything. And especially with the extraordinary circumstances, starting a new job, it's it's been like a drink from the fire hose. So the last uh, two months or so, it's it's been a lot to take on. So I've, I haven't been as in touch with the community as I usually am, but I'm feeling like I'm starting to get some speed. So it's a really good feeling now. I feel that being employed at Chef would just be like a wonderful education opportunity. I don't know how involved you were in DevOps before, but man, working at Chef is definitely going to put you above and beyond most developers in terms of your DevOps skills. Yeah, so what I'd say, uh, some of the main reasons that I took this on is it had a lot of areas that I wanted to really level up in. So firstly, um, I work solely as one of the maintainers on the InSpec project, I-N-S-P-E-C. That's, you can find out about that at inspec.io. And uh, the big change was first going from full stack Rails, which I'll say in a moment, I still do a fair bit of that on my own time, but to just pure Ruby life, you know, maintaining Ruby gems um, and being in the DevOps domain. So, so I'd say before taking this job, one of my biggest blind, so- blind spots that I thought I had was DevOps. Like I could do it, but when you start your career just with Heroku Create sitting right there, um, and then when you have a few gigs where you aren't in charge of the DevOpsy side of the world, you know, you've got one or two or more people who are handling that, it's very easy for that to be a weaker skill. So I thought, do you know what? If I go into Chef, I, I, it won't just be like not being the smartest person in the room. It'd be everybody else in the room would be smarter than me, which is exactly where I want to be. They're so brilliant. And particularly in the world of DevOps, there's about, it's it, you know, it almost feels like learning programming for the first time, you know, where every term is a new term and every concept is a new concept. And it's been really fun. I love that attitude that you were willing to be the person in the room who needs to learn the most about what everyone's talking about. I think that's a very special personality skill. And granted, you definitely have it. Um, for me, like I enjoy being on servers. I like that life, but I know very little about Docker and very little about Kubernetes and that kind of world. And so the amount of scale that Chef must deal with has just got to be really cool to watch. Yeah. So like, I'll, I'll give an example from what I work on. So... I work on the Inspect project, which just really quickly, if you work with compliance or auditing or security, it goes with the chef, you know, uh, compliance is code, you know, something, DevOps is code, mantra, where you can automate everything. So you might have a situation where you're using CIS standards and manually running these commands, thousands of them every three months, and it's horrible and, and keeping track of it. But Inspect allows you to automatically do that, you know, how, however often you want. And we're starting, you know, we'll see, you know, cases because Chef has some brand name customers. I don't know if I'm allowed to say who they are, but just imagine about as big as it gets. 
and problems I've never had in my life, you know, where, where you're saying this is getting run tens of thousands of times, hundreds of thousands of times. The loops are, you know, can kill you. Whereas uh, on some of the other applications I've worked on, they were just as important, but they wouldn't get hit as hard, right? So being able to think about that with every line of Ruby you write is really cool. And then Chef last year, I think, um, really started making the push towards open sourcing as much as possible, which I love, obviously. Um, and so my repository is open source. So after all these years of spending a little extra time on the side trying to chip things into open source, that's literally what I do. And it's it's such it gives me so much respect for maintainers now being on the side where on top of writing all the code that we want to do and making the improvements we want to do, we have to take anything the world throws at us, you know, any type of issue, any type of PR and do that community support and management. And it's something I'm hugely passionate about. So I'm trying to put a good, healthy community flair on it. You know, there's nothing better than when you do your first PR on a project and someone's actually nice to you, even if you've messed up. <laughs> so I'm trying to be the change that I want in the world with that. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just a fantastic uh, different set of things. And the, and the final thing I'll say on it, though, is, well, Nick, you're on the Ruby on Rails podcast. How has this affected your world with Rails? And I've got to say, so I'm two, three months in now, and it has really blown up my love for it because now when I write Rails, it's it's really my choice. You know, when you're doing it 40 hours a week and there's nothing wrong with it as your full time job, but I've done it long enough where I loved it. But, you know, I had it was what I had to do as well, like. But now if I do a little bit of weekend hours or evening hours on my own or a different project, you know, I get to really explore things just on my own time in my own way. And so I've fallen back in love with Rails, even though I don't do it 40 hours a week anymore. So I think that's great. I mean, at my current job, I maintain two API wrappers in Ruby. I'm curious what your opinion is when you're writing pure Ruby. Do you believe in including things like active support and active record or when you write pure ruby you really want to stick to just pure ruby so i love using the tools that you can obviously at chef we have to, and i'm still not leveled up all the way on this yet we really have to think about how everything packages together because we need to be able to run things you know air gapped or on all sorts of systems and support all sorts of things so when we add in a dependency the impact is huge however i will say um, currently at Inspect, we're, we use active support. We rely on that. That's actually a big part of uh, stuff we rely on. So, um, we're, so it goes both ways. We think I'm thinking harder than ever about any dependencies, and in fact, I don't think I've even added one yet. You know, that's how narrow we are, and and we have to think so carefully about each bump we do. Like we had a bump recently that that killed um, Wits, and didn't know it straight away, right? So. We really think about the dependencies, but I also love region form because they're so well maintained and so, and so useful uh, in everyday life. But how do you feel about that? You know, when you're looking at what you're writing, do you ever write something and realize, oh, that's not a Ruby thing, that's a Rails thing? Yeah, absolutely. Especially around date time. There are a lot of times I will reach for, you know, uh, end of week or top of the month or whatever, something that, you know, comes from active support. And I'll realize while I'm in that gem that it's not going to work because I haven't included active support through. I really try to limit including active support unless I have a strong use case to use it throughout the code base. So if it's like a time sensitive 
type thing and I really want to have that helper, then maybe I'll include it through. Uh, one good example on a gem that I've been working on is I usually use the require all gem in order to require my dependencies through since we're so used to Rails including everything for us. Yep. Um, but with the introduction of Zitework, I decided to switch out that dependency for Zitework just to see if that would maybe help me clean up my code base and it is working really great so far. It was kind of plug and play. I will say that the documentation is really great, but for me, and I don't know if this is true for you, but I spend a lot of time searching on GitHub and just reading other people's code in order to get the best practices on how to implement something. Now, granted, we know that we only can see public repositories when we do that kind of thing. Um, I did have a funny case once where I was looking for a way to implement a certain gem and then I found a wonderful way in order to implement it on GitHub and realized it was for my own private repository. <laughs> so it's funny, you know, our memories can only hold so much. But um, yeah, I, I thought Zitework was pretty, uh, pretty easy to implement. And since this will end up being a public gem, you know, I hope then I can provide another example for other people to implement it. That's fantastic. That might be something for us to think about as well, because Again, you know, the, the strategy behind how you require things and where you require them and why. We even have a big issue where we're debating, you know, require versus require relative and its performance, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, I think Zitework is something I need to give another look to as well. So it's, I mean, if it can run on, if Rails is sitting on it, it can definitely handle a lot of edge cases, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. So speaking of Pure Ruby, Stack Overflow's 2020 developer survey results came out. And it didn't look super great for Ruby with only 42.9% of actual Rubyists. So what the term actual Rubyists means is probably debatable. But those Rubyists replied saying they were not, they were the ones that were keen to keep using it. I was completely shocked by this number. Yeah, it just, it's a bit confusing because it kind of goes against um, a lot of the stuff that, that, I, that I see, but maybe I have some sort of bias because I tend to surround myself with positive involved Rubyists in my community, right? I don't follow certain, you know, negative people on Twitter for Ruby. Um, but maybe, yeah, maybe it's a, a definition of the term Rubyist. I, I don't want to give people classifications, but I do think of Rubyist as like uh, a Miniswan Rubyist, you know, where, you, where you're, you know about the history in the community and if you mention some of the big, you know, libraries or podcasts or, or people in the community, they'd know them. But I've kind of poked my head out a little bit, and there are a decent number of people who are writing Ruby today who are possibly unfamiliar with some of its history and community, like where they just maybe were Java or, or something else, and that they, they got put into a role where they had to switch to Ruby. Um, so I'm, I'm really not sure. I mean, do you, did you see any theories or have any theories on, on those results? So I think that's a really interesting question. I think there's a huge outcry from the software community to push towards concurrency and scaling. And unfortunately, Ruby still has that reputation that it quote unquote can't scale. We know that that's not true. But um, lower level languages, I think the number one that scored was Rust for people who desire to learn how to use it. And granted, it, it's something that I'm interested in as well. Yeah, it's some of these popular ones I think are fantastic. Like I'd love to spend some time in Rust. I'd love to spend some time in some of these other languages. Um, but what's odd is it also doesn't match up with like, uh, I'm seeing a, 
I don't know about uh, your end of the globe, but you might have better insight. But I don't see loads of, say, Rust jobs posted. Now, I think you could get jobs that exist and use Rust. And in fact, I think it's a very beloved uh, tool set. But compared to, say, Ruby or Rails gigs, um, yeah, I'm just not sure. It's, it's uh, you know what this is? Every year, we, as Rubyists or whatever language or framework, JavaScript isn't immune with their frameworks. We have this um, FOMO and FUD, right? F fear, uncertainty, and doubt. The, is something dead? Should I write something? And in reality, like, it's, it's a decent consideration when you're starting programming because you do have to make a decision, but it's nightmarish because you have no experience to make that decision. Um, but then also for us who are just trying to have a career and pay our bills and live our lives as well as enjoy ourselves, it's in the back of your head because you know that there are technologies that were prevalent 40 years ago that are non-existent now. So we definitely want to make sure that we can still keep working in uh, 10, 20 years. But I've... I'm definitely bullish on Ruby. I'd, Chef has even turned that even more because I'm looking at how much Ruby is being used in Chef world, right? This is DevOps world. We care about, you know, uh, uh, speaking to thousands or tens of thousands of instances on a, on a governmental and enterprise scale every minute of the day and delivering top-notch quality. And we're writing a lot of things in Ruby. Um, so, and, I, and our customers love using Ruby. So we, we even design our DSLs around Ruby because of how human friendly it is. Um, so yeah, I don't, it's, it's just, I think it's something that's always going to be there and I'm going to be very interested to see how it turns out next year. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, the only other thought I have is that people may not fill out surveys like they used to. The people who are on Stack Overflow now versus the people who are on Stack Overflow the most, maybe two, three, four years. Good. That's a very good point. And you're right. 2020 has been quite the year and it might very much affect those results. I do want to have a discussion with you about diversifying my skills, but we're actually going to take a quick break from our sponsor, Raygun. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Raygun is thrilled to launch the next chapter in their ongoing support for application performance monitoring, Ruby support for Raygun APM. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. They have end-to-end -end monitoring with features like detailed trace transactions, dashboards, user experiencing monitoring, and more. Raygun APM offers a seamless integration with the Heroku platform via BuildPack, so you can get all the benefits of APM for your Rails application. To start your free 14-day trial, go check it out by visiting raygun.com rg slash ruby dash apm today. Link will be in the show notes. Thank you, Raygun, for sponsoring the show. So because I've been home and I've had more time, I decided that I wanted to learn some more skills. And I, you very much know that I like to work in the back end. And so I decided to go to the extreme other end. And I enrolled in a Coursera course on graphic design, which I just finished up. It was a lot of fun. I was absolutely Photoshop clueless before I started it. And I feel much more comfortable using it now. And I think overall, just having some sort of eye for design is just going to help me in my career overall. And now I've decided I want to move on to another skill. I really enjoyed that experience. And I wanted to learn a backend language like Rust or Golang, but I just cannot find a decent place to get started. So have you ever run into that? 
Yeah, so there was one time that... Now, I've looked at some Rust code in the past. I remember um, one of our favorite uh, Rubyists, or maybe former Rubyist at this point, um, uh, Sean Griffin talked a lot about it and, and the work they were doing. And so I've had a look at that. And then I've had some friends talk about Go, and I, I tried to get into Go world on my own, but it, I, I did struggle. So I think this might be a situation where if I were to do it again, I'd probably look through my Rolodex of friends, or at least Twitter friends, and try and find the most Golang or Rusty person. I don't know if Rusty's the right word. Um, and uh, and just say, where do I go? Because it's you almost it's not just that you want to learn it, but you want to learn it. I am a Rubyist who wants to learn go so like i will know some concepts relatively well but then let me know what the gotchas are for completely different you know mind shifts kind of like you know when i learned some stuff with graphql i didn't want to just learn it i wanted to learn it as someone who's very familiar with rest and what things i throw out the window you know a big bonus for me would be learning computer science fundamentals while i'm learning it as well i figure with those lower level languages that might come with it I, you know, am a trained web application developer. I don't have a computer science degree. I came to development through a boot camp. And so if I could kind of get the two for one, that would be amazing. So listeners, if you have any suggestions on this, I've been digging into it pretty hard. I am very much a review oriented person. So I've been le- reading a lot of reviews about different boot camps that are out there, but I definitely need regimen and I definitely need to put money on it because if I don't spend money towards it, then I just don't have as much of a reason to get it done. And that was a big help for me with the graphic design course through Coursera. That's fantastic. And if you do, you know, when you do hear back, just be sure to follow back and let us listen. I'll be listening in because I'd love to know the resources as well. We do use Golang or Rust a, a bit here. Um, and even for the fundamentals like that, I'm similar like you. I was a boot camp grad and the, 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 one of the last vestiges of imposter syndrome in my brain is around the fact that I didn't do CS, right? It's still, it's beaten down pretty good, but it's still in there. Um, and the, and the way to kill that is with knowledge, right? So just before we move on here, I'd love to hear, uh, slightly more about the graphic design world. So I, you know, when I was a kid, I remember playing around with a few things. I was never that good, but I really is fun, right? Uh, what, what are the main tools of the trade these days and, and what's, what, what are they using in your course? Yeah, so I'm super lucky in the fact that my work was able to grant me a license to the Adobe Creative Suite so that I was able to use that throughout my course. So definitely very heavy in Photoshop and then InDesign. And I don't know if most of our listeners have used InDesign before, but it is quite a tool to get used to. Um, it, it's just a lot. It's, it's way more um, visually different than Photoshop, I would say. But honestly, my favorite part of the course, Nick, was going through typography. I just, I love typography and I love learning the connotations and the vibes that you can give off just based on a certain font. So now I'm going to show my lack of knowledge here. So big warning uh, in this area. So with, with typography skills, like are you, would you have the capacity to actually design from scratch your own bespoke fonts that you could use in other places? Yeah, in theory, if I got good enough, that would be a goal. And so we did a uh, like a capstone project at the end. And the idea is that you would choose an existing font for the logo. I chose to do a project. Um, I have a relatively 
heavier dog and I've noticed that there is a missing component in the world and that is uh, dog clothing for large dogs. <laughs> and so I put together a brand strategy guide and the idea is that you would choose an existing font and then you would use Photoshop to modify that font a little bit, aka like putting in a secret ingredient there to really make it your own. Um, I do know designers out there that have designed their own fonts and I think that's just an incredibly amazing way to contribute to that world. That is so fantastic. Uh, my world of typography is so limited. I think one day I read about it for a bit about, you know, when I had to choose my own fonts, let alone interact with them uh, as to how they interact on a page. But unfortunately, it's an area that I just really admire, but still uh, it's another blind spot to be knocked off someday. So that's it was just fun learning a little bit extra. But what else is new with you, Nick? So I would like to pull from the world of Rails, and I will say one of the best ways to keep in touch, because uh, I'm very much in a domain unto itself with Ruby right now, and I've mentioned them about 100 times, but whenever I want to know what's going on in Ruby and I have 10 minutes in a week, Ruby Weekly saves my bacon every time. And what I'd love to talk about is something that I saw uh, from Ruby, Ruby Weekly very recently, which is a new um, flag for Rails New. Now, last time we talked, or the time before, we were talking about one that I'd implemented, which was relatively simple, but lets you just point to the master branch uh, latest commit of Rails. But this one is the minimal uh, flag. Did you see that? Uh, I did. I did. I think that is such a great idea. And I know that it came from the Rails WTFs in May, which is even better. Yeah, so that's the other thing I saw about. So since I was onboarding, I was basically in a hole for a lot of May. So I'm definitely going to enjoy going back and looking through those WTFs and, and seeing what came out. Um, I could say from what I remember, because I've seen this on Twitter a lot behind Minimal coming out, is people, you may have seen it too a number of weeks ago. Like there's one discussion where somebody wrote his Rails new command, which was basically skip, 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 all the skip flags. And he said, I just wish that I could have, you know, none of these things every time. And people gave him some hacks and everything. But um, we had a contributor put this in and I have it in front of me. It skips action cable, action mailbox, action mailer, action text, active job, active storage, boot snap, jbuilder, spring, system test, turbo links, uh, and webpack. And uh, yeah, so it's, it basically gives you as tiny of a fully functioning Rails app as you can have, and then you can add everything on as you need it later, which is really interesting proposition. I think it's great. I actually need to spin up a new Rails application, which by the way, how fun is it to spin up a new Rails application when you've been working on legacy code um, to test a gem? And so I'm going to have to try this. I actually ended up reaching out to the contributor. His name's Haroon Ahmed, and he's going to be on the podcast in a, the next couple of weeks. It'll be his first podcast appearance ever. So I'm really excited to have him. Oh, that's great. I'd be listening anyway, but I'll Definitely, definitely be listening to that one. I, I having it feels like yesterday was the first time I ever popped onto a podcast. And I think it was actually with you. So mm -hmm. it's so fun to hear these amazing folks uh, have their first podcast experience, probably first of many in their career. So it's uh, fantastic that you got them on. Absolutely. And that's actually a good reminder to say to the listeners, if you have something interesting that you want to talk about in Rails or Ruby 
or open source, I have a link in the bio of my Twitter where you can submit to me uh, to appear on the podcast. I have many first time people start on this podcast, which is actually a personal goal of mine. So please reach out if you're interested. And with that, Nick, um, thank you so much for joining me again. It's always great to catch up. Congratulations on your new job. I just can't wait to hear more about it. Thank you so much. I'll do uh, just a final plug. If you have uh, deployed servers on AWS, GCP, Azure, or elsewhere in the world, and you want to automate your uh, compliance and security instead of paying a third-party firm thousands of dollars to do it, give inspect.io a look. And if you struggle, just uh, say Nick sent you and I'll help you out. Perfect. Awesome. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening. Thank you.